Hey friends, I'm back again for another book reading. This is about the women of the Bible. The name of it is The Women of the Bible Speak by Shannon Brim. Women of the Covenants, Sarah. The fact is Sarah's life sounded like an adventure story full of twists and turns. She was settled into her life when her husband suddenly announced they'd be upending everything they knew to move way out of their comfort zone. She managed a wealthy household with a very complicated blended family, and that's not all. She bore no children of her own, and even when God made her a pacific promise, she left it off as impossible. How surprised she must have been when the wildly unthinkable finally came true for her. But oh, how far off track she'd already gotten by taking matters into her own hands. According to the Bible, Abraham twice denied being Sarah's husband to protect himself when a powerful ruler noticed just how beautiful she was and wanted her for himself. In case involving, I'm probably not going to say this right, but I should know this word, but Sarah, that's it. Sarah was already 65 years old. Think about how enduringly stunning her beauty must have been to draw so much attention, even as she was entering her golden years. While many details about Sarah are unknown, we do know that this, she was definitely spectacle of men in shining robes, telling 90-year-old women they would have babies. So who was she beyond these few tidbits? In reading the story of Abraham and Sarah, it's hard not to focus on Abraham. After all, he was the one who received the call from God. Come from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you. Genesis 12.1 It's the first hint we receive that this land God will show him, the promised land, is going to play a crucial part in salvation history. But along with the promises to Abraham, God repeatedly makes clear that Sarah will be a key player, that she will be a mother of nations, king of peoples, shall, be, shall come from her, Genesis 17.16. If Sarah object, objected to their journey, Scripture does not record it. In order to avoid a famine, she and Abraham journeyed from Ur to Haran, from Haran to Canaan, and then from Canaan to Egypt. Sarah supported her husband during the dispute with his nephew Lot, and during the su subsequent battle with the five kings of Canaan, which we had a ride to, which he had a ride to Lot's rescue. In Egypt, she was beautiful enough to attract, attract Pharaoh's notice, which prompted Abraham to fudge the truth about who she really was. If wondering why Abraham felt compelled to lie, remember that he was a refugee traveling through a foreign land. This was a period when powerful rulers could claim beautiful womenly claim beautiful women simply because they wanted them. A protesting husband could play pay with his life 
a consequence of which Abraham would have been all too aware. Ultimately, the other men, moved by Sarah's beauty, rejected her when they realized she was married. The Lord himself directly intervened to protect her by sending um, yeah, sending plagues in case of Pharaoh and by visiting Amalach with a warning. Abraham's fear put Sarah in danger and also put other men in a position where they could have sinned against God. Abraham's deceit didn't help anyone, and his behavior tells something about his character. He was sometimes fearful and weak, and in right respect, it is rather remarkable that God chose a man like Abraham to be the matriarch of his chosen people. But perhaps he does this in order to demonstrate his power, power, power through Abraham's foolishness. As Paul notes in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, God's power, power is made perfect in weakness. In 1 Corinthians 1, 27, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. In any case, Abraham's weakness of character had a marked influence on his marriage, and I often wonder how Sarah felt being placed in a potential danger because of his decisions. Sarah herself is voiceless until the chapter 16 of the narrative, when the first time she has something to say. Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children but an Egyptian slave named Hagar, so she said to Abraham, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build perhaps I can build a family through her. Abraham agreed to what Sarah said, Genesis sixteen one to two. It's almost as though Sarah was saying, Okay, wait, hold up. I I said nothing while you dragged us for hundreds of miles from Chattada to Canaan to Egypt and back again. I said nothing while you talked about this covenant with God that somehow you think you have and the special promise you, you say that God has made you. But I've seen some none of it happened. None of it's happened and we're going to have an heir. Then I'd better take matters into my own hands here. The first time we hear Sarah speak, she has a plan. But we, the readers, know it's not God's plan. We know God is weaving a, an intricate story starring Isaac, but Sarah is still spectacle. Just a chapter before, God pledges to Abraham that the one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Genesis fifteen fourteen. God has shown him the glittering night sky, promised him that his descendants would be as many as the stars in the sky, uncountable. Abraham was all in. The minute God said jump, Abraham said how high, but highly uncertain that any of this would come to pass, Sarah wanted evidence. She appears to have been the practical one in the relationship, not faithless, but not exactly trusting either. So she came up with a solution to what she saw as a problem of God's unfulfilled promise. 
following ancient Near Eastern customs, Sarah hatched a plan to produce an heir, sending Abraham to go into her maid, Hagar, so she could obtain children through her. But sometimes happens when we stop trusting God's plan and go on our own way, things went terribly wrong. The minute Hagar successfully conceived, the relationship between the two women imploded. In the Bible, Sarah complains to Abraham, I put my slave in your arms, and now she knows she's pregnant. She despises me. Genesis 16.5 Hagar likely lorded her pregnancy over Sarah. Genesis 16.4 translates to show us that Hagar considered Sarah a person of no standing because she was barren. So then the far younger Hagar was the only one bearing a child for Abraham. It might have been natural for Hagar to assume that her relationship with both Sarah and Abraham had changed. Her status had surely improved, and as a mother of Abraham's sole heir, she had security for the future. So what was Abraham's reaction to the news that his wife's now pregnant servant despised her? Did he urge calm did he try to hear both sides of the dispute not exactly abraham said to his wife your slave is in your hands do with her whatever you think best genesis 16:6. 6. this is now the second time we see abraham consequence his wife's wishes when we know sarah is in the wrong their relationship comes in the sharper focus now and it's complicated and one marked by times when she speaks her mind and times when she silently follows his lead. In this instance, he attempted to restore peace in his relationship with Sarah by demolishing de 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 his relationship with pregnant Hagar. Do whatever you please, he tells his wife, and Sarah does. The Bible says that Sarah dealt harshly with Hagar, Genesis 16.6. It's the same wording the Bible uses for the way the Egyptians treat the Jewish slaves in Exodus, meaning with oppression and forced labor. Abraham gave Sarah complete authority over Hagar, knowing it would mean for the servant woman, and it stood, he stood by while Sarah abused the pregnant woman with impunity. And reading any memoir or history of slavery in the American South or the Caribbean, we find the stories detailing the mistreatment of pregnant women the most gut-wrenching. It's impossible, impossible for us as modern readers to dredge up any sympathy for Sarah at this point. But like the men of the Bible, the women of the Bible are complicated. They are, on the whole, neither... Ne Neither fully good nor completely bad, but simply people. In all their messy and uncomfortable humanity, and it's when we can see them in their full humanity that God can teach us something about ourselves. Excuse me. All right, had to clear my throat there. All right, let's take over some reading here. Let's see, teach us something about ourselves. Let's see if we could 
What are we reading here? Trying to get Abraham back on track? Okay. The next time we hear from Sarah, she is once again skeptical of God's plan. In one of Bob's, in one of the Bible's most enigmatic stories, God appears to Abraham at his tent by the oaks of Marie and tells him that Sarah will bear a son. The story, the story is a strange one because the first verse of the chapter says that God appeared to Abraham. But the very next sentence says that three men stood before him. Whatever happened at Mamre, it is clear that this was a very unusual visit. And this time, it wasn't just Abraham God came to see. Where is your wife Sarah? The three men asked him. There in the tent, he says. Then one of them says, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. This was the message for Sarah, loud and clear. When God appeared to Abraham before, he had told him that he would have his, a son of his body. This time, he was more explicit. It, was, it will soon be a son of Abraham's body and of Sarah's. She is central to this covenant and narrative. She is an equal recipient of the promise. It's almost as though God were saying, pay attention this time. Sarah did, and her re reaction was immediate. She laughed. She laughed one of the most extraordinary reactions to a revelation from God recorded in the Bible. However, don't forget, just one chapter earlier, Abraham was just as incredulous. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of ninety? At this point, Sarah was done with all revelations, all promises. She had seen enough. She had hoped long enough, and she tried long enough. She had twisted her life into knots enough, no more. And so, when the big reveal came, she laughed. Tell me another, Sarah thought. And God took note. Why did Sarah laugh? He asked, is anything impossible with God? We can imagine Abraham turning several vivid shades of purple with embarrassment during this exchange. Sarah hastily tries to fix it too. She denies laughing, but God responds, No, you did laugh. The climatic moment of God's revelation to Abraham has just become the world's most disastrous dinner party. We hear Sarah's voice in the text once more with the birth of, the, with the birth of Isaac nine months later. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, and he had said, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son that Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son at this old age. Sarah's laughter had been transformed, first into the name of a child, and then into joy. She was also laughing at her own disbelief and the renewal of her faith through this miraculous event. The laughter that at first 
she attempted to deny was now become an object of the commemoration of the very name of her son Isaac. In Hebrew, it means laughter. But laughter is no longer the snide, mocking laughter of disbelief. It is laughter of joy, and Sarah invites others to join in with her. It's the laughter of reversal of all expectations of resurrection and hope reborn to new life. And her son's name is her nod to the head of God, her acknowledgement that not only was God right and she was wrong, but that she too was included in the covenant so that she too was the recipient of the promise. It would be wonderful to end the story of Sarah there, but that's not where the scripture leaves her. For Sarah's story is intertwined with Hagar's from beginning to end. From Sarah's first words in the text, she offers Hagar to Abraham. And her last words in the text, she drives Hagar and Ishmael into the desert. Far from feeling calmer and more confident in God, in herself after Isaac's birth, Sarah seems instead to be on high alert. When Isaac was three years old, the traditional age of weaning, Genesis 21 tells us that Sarah saw his older brother Ishmael laughing. Some translations suggest mocking. The Bible doesn't tell us anything more than that. Something about what she saw triggered a fresh backlash by Sarah. Did she feel that Ishmael's presence made her son seem less special, less extraordinary? After all, it was wasn't Ishmael the son of Abraham too? And who and who was to say that in years later years, Ishmael might not grow jealous or fearful of hatred and threaten her beloved son? As we see again and again in the polygamous relationships in the Bible documents, jealousy and division are almost always present among family members. Sarah says to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman will never share the inheritance with my son Isaac. Did Sarah go too far this time in asking Abraham to end his relationship with his eldest son, to send him away so that he may never see him again? How could Sarah ask such a thing? But nothing is a surprise to God or a barrier to his plans. And he reassures Abraham, God didn't tell Abraham that Sarah was right. But he did tell him that Ishmael would be a great nation and under his protection. So at that promise, perhaps Abraham felt confident that no harm would come to the boy or his mother and that in order to preserve peace in the family, it would be best to send them away. So off into the desert, Hagar and Ishmael went to a fate unknown to Sarah and Abraham. We do not hear Sarah's voice again, though other voices in the scripture refer to her. She is called the mother of promise in Romans 9.9 9, and the mother of faith in Hebrews 11.11. 11. Peter refers to her as the model wife. There is one more great event recorded in the life of Abraham and Sarah. Before the narrative moves to the next generation, God has a test in mind for Abraham. He asked him to take his one remaining child, the child of covenant and promise, his son Isaac, and offer him as a human sacrifice. It's hard for us to imagine being asked to do the same with our beloved children, but do not forget what Abraham had already witnessed, God's upending faithfulness. He had already watched God keep his promise, bringing a newborn baby to a hundred-year-old man and his ninety-year-old wife. Hebrews gives us insight into what Abraham must have been thinking. 
By faith, Abraham, when tested by God, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who embraced the promise, he who embraced the promises, was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said, God had said to him, "It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned." Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Because Abraham had already heard God's promise and seen them come to fruitation, Hebrews is suggesting that Abraham believed that even if he were called to sacrifice Isaac, God could bring him back to life. Did Abraham tell Sarah what he was doing? This is a great question. He didn't tell Isaac, which is understandable. Not only did he need the child's compliance, but he didn't want to frighten him. The story of Abraham trudging towards the spot where God had called him to sacrifice Isaac is a difficult one to read. We now know the end of the story, but in those hours and days, Abraham couldn't have known how things would unfold. Genesis reveals his deep faith in the journey. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship there, and then we will come back to you. He is stating in his clear belief that the two will return together, despite what God is asking of him. Isaac must have been bewildered, even frightened at some point, as Abraham followed through, reaching for the very knife to slay his son. An angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And then, of course, the bleeding of the ram in the thicket quickly retrieved to become the sacrifice instead of Isaac. The high drama of it makes for an incomparable story, but Sarah saw none of it. All this happened out of her sight and perhaps her knowledge. If God had applied the same test to Sarah, what would she have done? From what we know of Sarah, it's hard to believe she would have saddled that donkey and taken her son to be sacrificed. It's hard to imagine any mother who has born a child saying yes to that. How does any of us react when our faith is put to the test? Whether it's through periods of doubt. Just a second here. <laughs> And despair, the death of a loved one, infertility, infertility, or financial ruin. Often we are asked to be willing to sacrifice what feels most precious to us. Do we, as Abraham did, proceed in faith or look for our own way out? Sarah, who longed so desperately for her own child, made a decision that forever altered history. And yet God chose her to be the human fulfillment of his covenant with Abraham, the mother of the nation of Israel. Again, despite our flaws, we can be used by our Heavenly Father to weave together his highest purposes. Sarah is the perfect illustration of that beautiful, complex truth. Alright, friends, I'm back. I hope y'all in enjoyed and I don't, know if, I don't know if I would call it enjoyed. Let me rephrase that. 
like enlightening interesting I don't know why I said joyful but interesting I hope you gain the knowledge of God's word I hope you gained it